Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCent Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. o'clock hour, the final hour of today's Wilson and Parcelling, the final drive coming up in about 40 minutes here on the show. I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. One thing I can't get over, Josh, is the quarterback class for 2021 for the NFL and the unheralded nature of what they're walking into and potentially with guys like maybe Trevor Lawrence, if if the season doesn't happen, or a guy like Justin Fields, who it seems like we're, we're pretty definitive it's not going to happen. Guys who kind of go into this for the final year of experience who now aren't going to be getting that. It's unusual, no, no doubt. I mean, it, especially with Justin Fields, who we know right now is not playing football at all this season unless his petition works or if the Big Ten changes course. I can't even don't even get me started on whatever's happening with that conference right now. But if if Justin Fields doesn't play, I mean, it's unfortunate for those guys that that's an understatement. And, you know, quarterbacks getting reps is really important. I mean, I think if you look at most quarterbacks who have succeeded in the NFL, I would just off the top of my head, thinking about them, most of them were multiple year starters in college. They got those reps. They gained that experience of being under center, of facing different coverages, facing different defenses, facing adversity in all sorts and forms of fashions. And doing that in one season, it just it's a tough transition to go from one year of full, you know, college football going into the NFL. I know this is just one guy, so it's not to say that this is the rule, but you know, Mitch Trubisky had one year as a starter at UNC and he struggled to adapt to the speed in the NFL. He's really, really struggled mightily. So 
I think for, you know, for, for Justin Fields, losing out on that, that last season in college, it's certainly a disadvantage for him. Yeah, I think people have been, we've, we've been so keyed in on focusing on where guys get drafted that we don't enough in the NFL think about their ability to succeed, right? I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance, given the, the, the just God, God's natural gifts that they've been given, I think they have a chance to be really good football players in the NFL. But the starts won't prohibit them from getting drafted. It, it's just going to make it tougher to evaluate them. And, and I also think it's going to put more emphasis on the quarterback development of where they go. And as we've seen in the NFL, the ability to develop first-round quarterbacks while on the field is incredibly hit or miss. If you look at guys here since 2010, uh, of the quarterbacks with 20 or less starts, with both Justin Fields and Trey Lance, would be uh, if they if they don't transfer to one of the other three power conferences that look to be playing this year, or uh, if their their conferences don't play, that they'll meet. It's Trubisky in 2017. He had 13 starts. Kyler had 14 starts at Oklahoma mm-hmm. uh, in 19. Dwayne Haskins who had 14 starts. Cam Newton had 14 starts, and then there's Ryan Tannehill who had 20 starts. Pretty much every other quarterback in the last decade had 21 or more starts in the NFL or heading into the NFL. That doesn't mean, to me, it doesn't mean that they're destined for failure because I, I don't, I think experience is really important. I don't think it's the ultimate, uh, you know, control of whether you succeed or fail. But again, I think it makes it tougher to evaluate where they are and it puts more pressure on the NFL to develop them, which it's it's it can be really tough to develop in the NFL because it's a win-now league. Yeah, and I, I love that you pointed out some of those names. I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe Kyler Murray had five or six starts at A&M, so not that it makes that much of a difference. Yeah, but still d- be 20 d- and under, but d- yes. I did have right. a few more, but, but either way, um, with those guys, I, I think that it's – it's not a make or break scenario. Like well, the point that I made a minute ago when I say, you know, it, it's a, it, it inhibits their development. It's true to an extent. But I also think that for a lot of these guys, the physical talent is not going to be what separates you when you get to the NFL. You're going to be drafted. You have to have some level of physical ability. But it's the guys who can process the game the guys who are great leaders the guys who are great decision makers on and off the field are going to be the great quarterbacks and you know Justin Fields has all the physical tools already could he get a little bit better with more reps in the Big Ten absolutely I would actually question how much better a guy like Trevor Lawrence could get playing at Clemson and he would never admit this but how much better is Lawrence going to get playing the first two quarters against Boston College, being up 42 to seven, and then sitting on the bench for most of the second half? I, I I would wager to guess he probably isn't getting a lot out of that. Um, there are a handful of games where Clemson's going to you know be in it later, perhaps, and they're going to need Lawrence to make plays. But you know, over the first two years of Lawrence's career, he's had four or five games at most where he's been asked to deliver in, in crunch time moments that, that honestly feels a little high. So for Lawrence, I don't know Lance playing at a lower level. I think Lance is the kind of guy that just, he needs to get to the next level. And it, I don't know that he needs to play immediately, 
but he's the kind of guy that I think is go- needs to get into an NFL system and just start being around NFL vernacular, being around NFL athletes. I think the same thing with Fields. It would help you to play. It's always good to be able to play, but I also don't think that this is somehow going to make or break these guys' careers. There are a lot of other factors around these guys that's going to determine whether or not they pan out and become franchise quarterbacks or whether or not they become guys that like Trubisky that we ultimately forget. The funny thing is that we're about to play a clip here in a minute about uh, about some questions about Trevor Lawrence from Bucky Brooks. And what's interesting is this year with with having his his key weapons gone at wide receiver, with having the the change out on the offensive line, uh, you even losing a key piece or two on the defense, even though we think Clemson was going to reload, this could have potentially been the year where Trevor Lawrence silenced every single doubter because he was going to be doing a little bit more. He still had Travis Etienne. I'm not. I, he's not a pauper in any sense, but some of the circumstances are going to change. And what's interesting is he could have done some of what you're about to hear, what Bucky Brooks had to say on the Move the Sticks podcast on his thoughts on, on Bucky or on, on Trevor Lawrence. I think because people have just put his name up there like he's a, a no-brainer. I don't think they've studied. And the two games that I would say go back and watch, Ohio State and LSU. Even yeah. though he made some big plays in the Ohio State game, he was not um, at a level. And I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like Justin Fields outplayed him in that game. He did. Um, with the exception, that interception at the end that I won't put on him, I will put on the wide receiver. I felt, like, I felt like Justin Fields outplayed Trevor Lawrence. And I know that um, Lawrence is in the pole position, but it would be interesting when people really dig in and look. I don't know if it's a lock that he is the number one. I think that's really interesting. Because I I'm I'm intrigued by everything we've heard about Trey Lance. I haven't had an opportunity to study it like this. But I when I hear people say, you know, uh, when I hear the guys on the the podcast say Trey Lance has a chance to unseat Lawrence or that he might be better than Lawrence or, or Fields, I just can't see it because Trevor Lawrence checks every single box. So I would never accuse Bucky or, or Daniel Jeremiah of doing this. I don't I don't think that they would stoop to this level, but I do think that it will benefit media uh, for there to be a storyline going up to the draft. I mean, anytime you can create some sort of controversy about who should go number one, who's better, whatever, uh, that that is good for business, for, for media. So it behooves NFL Network, it behooves ESPN, Fox, us, anybody, uh, to have a real debate or a, or a conversation about who should be the number one pick. I don't think that's why, I don't think Bucky Brooks is saying that simply just to say it. I think Bucky studied the tape, and I, I agree with a lot of his assessment. If you look at those two games, I would also agree that Trevor Lawrence isn't a slam dunk number one pick. Lawrence was flat out bad. Not okay, not, oh, he missed a couple throws here and there. He was terrible against LSU. And a lot of that is LSU had a great defense by the end of the season that was playing really well. Derek Stingley is going to be a top five draft pick when he goes pro in a couple years. Patrick Queen was a first rounder. Uh, you had uh, Grant Delpit, who was a second round pick, was the Thorpe Award winner. I mean, they had they had pros all over the defense. That's a step up from most of the teams that Lawrence faces. And he had the second most number of inaccurate throws of any quarterback in FBS football last year in a game against LSU. He was bad. Ohio state. There were a handful of moments like Bucky said, where Lawrence is balled out. I mean, the touchdown run was great. He had a couple huge throws in a couple big time drives. One in the, at the start of the fourth quarter, that is an NFL drive. I mean, that is a pro quarterback putting a team on his back, crunch time moment, back against the wall, and leading a big-time drive. Lawrence did that. So, there's a lot to like about Lawrence, but the last two games that we've seen of Lawrence 
are arguably two of the worst games we've seen from him ever. Um, and I think that there is a point. Now, I'm guilty of this because I love Lawrence and I think he's tremendous. But I think a lot of people fell in love with the story of Lawrence when he beat Alabama. And he was great in that game, but I think a lot of people fell in love with the story of Lawrence. Here's this freshman kid, good-looking kid, number one quarterback recruit in the country, takes over for an already great team that clearly needed an upgrade at quarterback, makes them better, has this great game. The number, the box score is off the charts against Bama, beats an Alabama defense that, that was an overrated defense. That was not a historic – this is not Dante Hightower and all those guys back on that defense. That was a, that was a beat-up defense uh, at the end of 2019 – or 2018 – and and beat them. I think there's a bit of media creation with Trevor Lawrence. I think he's amazing, but I do think that maybe people jump the gun and saying, oh, he has to be number one. There's zero flaws in the guy's game. There's something there, but I would still draft him number one, but I get what Bucky's saying. No, I, I understand. I, I also think it's just, you don't just necessarily watch the last two games a guy played in and say, that's the, the truth on the guy. Uh, he absolutely has places. I mean, we talked about some of the throws he tried to make last year, and, and those are fair criticisms of him. But in the NFL draft, it's it's part, what did you do in college? And the other part of it is how you test and all of the the physical attributes that you have. This dude is six foot six. He's two hundred forty pounds. He is. Uh, he's going to run very well because he's athletic as hell. He's going to throw really well because he is a great passer. And then you're going to fall back on the stats, which are sixty five percent passing in his career, seven thousand passing yards, sixty six touchdowns, and twelve interceptions. And they might have just started to scratch the surface of his ability to to move, like we kind of saw with Carson Wentz early in his career. I. I do think that I need to do more work on Trey Lance, and I know I, you know, I watched a bit of Justin Fields. I guarantee you, Bucky and these guys, they're much more seasoned scouts than I am. But I can't get over the fact. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is a media creation. I think Trevor Lawrence is the kind of guy that NFL teams wait for every decade to fifteen years to come along. Well, oh, maybe you're right. I mean, I've said before, I think you could be like passing on him would be like passing on Michael Jordan. I essentially mean you don't pass up on talent like that. I think he's got incredible talent. But I would say this. The things that you just used to describe Trevor Lawrence, none of that separates him in fields. They're they're both incredible athletes. They're both six foot five, or six foot four, six foot five. They're both two hundred and thirty, two hundred and thirty five pounds. They both run incredibly well. They both have great stats in college. I think that I, w- I wouldn't use that to evaluate a quarterback in the in the pros, but they both have great numbers. The difference is going to be in. The, ty- the the actual film breakdown of the guys who can make the, the types of throws, who can make the higher leverage throws in in important moments. Fields. And I agree with Bucky that uh, I believe it was a lave that broke off his route or stopped his route that led to the interception at the end of the Clemson game. That's not really on field, but he did throw an interception in a big time moment. Um, that's on that uh, to some degree has to fall on him, but although I don't think as much as some people might want to put it on him, but there's going to be more that t- that's going to differentiate them. I don't th- from a physical standpoint and from a statistical standpoint. There's not a difference between – honestly, Fields might be better because the numbers are better for Fields and the the physical traits for Fields are every bit as good as Trevor Lawrence. So that's going to be tough. I think it could end up being a really good conversation. The part where, that makes it harder to be for it to be a conversation is the fact that 
we're looking at a year where if Lawrence plays and Fields doesn't, I mean, barring Lawrence just absolutely disintegrating this season, which I don't see happening, I just one year away or, or one year removed from watching Justin Fields play is going to hurt his case. Justin, I'm just telling you, you can transfer to Wake Forest and you can take control of your own destiny and play here in the ACC. Uh, when we look at, let's ask the question, how much will the lack of another year hurt the 2021 quarterback class? Does it give you pause here in Carolina with Trevor Lawrence? With, with him having 24, 25 starts instead of having uh, over 30 uh, in, in case they do not play. We'll also get to with uh, with the Toronto-Brooklyn game. Uh, feeling like we're, we're going to know the, the destination on that. We still have two more playoff games today in the NBA. So we'll do some playoff preview talk as well right here on Wilson and Parcel on Sports Radio FNC. so hard the reason why we fought so hard to to get in the playoffs is because we feel like we're capable of doing you know anything we can beat anybody um so now we just got to get rested um and get ready for the next thing you know our work is just beginning sports radio fnz the final drive coming up in 20 minutes here on wilson and parcel uh but that was damian lillard uh after the team advanced to the nba playoffs as the eighth seed in the western conference uh, talking about that he's confident they can beat anybody. We've already had, uh, well, one in almost two games in the bag here as Denver beat the Jazz earlier uh, in the day, and then it looks like Toronto is going to go ahead and beat Brooklyn in this first game. we got two more matchups to go tonight, but I, I know a lot of people are watching that Blazers-Lakers series on Upset Special. Yeah, man. I mean, look, the Lakers have been bad in, in the return. They they really have struggled to find the footing that they had gained by the the end of February or, or early March when everything shut down. The Lakers were the best team in the Western Conference. They had felt like they had really gotten into a rhythm. LeBron and AD were playing so well together. And winning the Western Conference in the regular season felt like a big achievement for them because it's an older team. It, it, it was a brand new team. All the pieces are just coming together for the first time. And you have a team with the Clippers that is deeper, has a, a little bit younger, not too, too much younger, but a little bit. And uh, I would say has a more uh, a better coach in Doc Rivers. But, you know, the Lakers were the better team for much of the season. It hasn't been that way in the bubble. Meanwhile, the Blazers have been a great story. Now, they can't defend, and that could end up being their downfall in the in the you know, the series against the Lakers, I think it's going to be a huge problem for them. But Damian Lillard's been the story. I mean, Lillard going off for 50 and nine on average over a three game stretch and then following it up with 31 points the other night again or the other afternoon against the Grizz in that playing game was outstanding. It was a it was a fun watch. We asked Adam Amin about that earlier. You know, I said, would you want to see that come back? He said he wouldn't mind it, but it's not his preference. I loved it. I love the idea of a playing game. I think that the NBA could shorten its regular season. I think they could go to 76 games and then make the money back up on, you know, a seven versus 10 and eight versus nine play in series to get into those last two spots. I think it would be a ton of fun. It would help de-incentivize tanking for some of the teams that are on the cusp of what do we compete or do we blow it up at the end of the year? thought it was a lot of fun. It was a great weekend. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the Blazers and Lakers starting yet yeah, tomorrow. It was definitely a fun weekend. I do think the play-in is something that uh, 
that that I think can especially incentivize the end of the season and maybe get a couple extra teams into the mix instead of trying to tank. I know the NBA's done a lot of things to kind of take tanking out of the equation. I think this could be another thing that helps those teams in the eight, nine, and ten range who aren't necessarily tanking but might shut it down prematurely. My only thing with the in terms of putting the Lakers on upset special. One, it's the regular season, and the the problems that they have are real, right? Their their uh, their defense on the perimeter is a problem. Their three point shooting offensively is a problem. I look at the Blazers, and the Blazers were great in the regular season of the bubble. They also did the heavy lifting up against teams that were seeded, you know, fourth seed or less. The Blazers went one and two against top three seeds in our top three seeded teams. In in the bubble, that that's not meant to be the end all be all, but it is. You know, they they were playing up against their play up against the top three teams. They went one and two. That's they lost more than they won there. Yeah, I mean, and it would be an upset for a reason. I mean, the Lakers are a better team. There's there's no question about that. But uh, I think that the Blazers are the one team out of the mix of those teams. Think about the teams that were fighting for that eight seed. Memphis had the 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 inside position on it uh, going into the bubble. Portland was right behind them. San Antonio, uh, Phoenix made a miraculous run. Sacramento was also, they were there. Like, uh, like uh, what's his name? Brian Lewerke in the Patriots quarterback room. They were also there. They were uh, in the room. N- not much else. Uh, but Portland was the one team the Lakers didn't want to face because their strengths can exploit the Lakers' weaknesses. You're right. It's the regular season. You're right that once the Lakers secured the one seed in the West, I mean, look. You don't have a ton of play for. I get it. But the one thing that that does translate to the playoffs is your ability to shoot the basketball. You know, look, can you take possessions off defensively? Can you rotate maybe a step slower in the regular season when you're not playing for your, you know, a seed or you're not playing for your position, whatever? Yeah, that can happen. Absolutely. Uh, but when it comes to shooting, shooting is shooting. And the Lakers don't have it. They're one, they were prior going back to the, the Orlando restart. They were bottom 10 in the NBA in three-point shooting. They were worse than that when they got to Orlando. This is a team right now that really struggles to score from the outside. And I don't really have a ton of faith in their front court beyond you know, Anthony Davis, I, Dwight Howard has been inconsistent, doesn't even begin to describe Dwight in the return. JaVale McGee hasn't been much better, and I don't trust JaVale if, to play important minutes in the playoffs. So I don't really know how much I trust the, the, the Lakers' depth in the front court either. I'm worried about this Lakers team. They might sneak past Portland because the Blazers absolutely can't defend. Zach Collins is out for game one. Hassan Whiteside is an absolute train wreck defensively, too. They're going to play mellow at the four. That could be, end up being a recipe for disaster against the Lakers against the Lakers front court. So I think the Lakers could sneak out of this series. I still like the Blazers' chances, uh, but they're going to need Dame to continue doing what he's been doing, which seems virtually impossible to ask a guy to keep putting up 40, 45 and even 50 points a game. You know, what's funny is the other team that I had written down for upset alert was actually the jazz. And, uh, that did not work out in the first game of this series. They're and, the sixth seed. Uh, they're, yeah, they're upset. Oh, six upset, seed oh, the, oh God. I thought you were saying they were on upset alert. No, I no, no. Yeah. I, I, I really like this jazz team. Today's game didn't kind of go the way you would expect it to, but it was a very close game. It went to overtime. Give me as much Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell as we can possibly have in these playoffs. It was really, really fun. If you missed it earlier, or even if you're watching, congratulations if you're able to watch down the stretch because Donovan Mitchell put the Jazz on his back today, and it wasn't enough. I think he finished with 57, if I'm not mistaken. It it, it was the first 50-point game. I'm sorry. It was the youngest player in the NBA 
to score 50 in a playoff game since Jordan dropped 63 on the Celtics in that famous game where Larry Bird said it was God disguised as Michael Jordan. Donovan Mitchell was special today, but in the final few minutes of the fourth quarter and in overtime, Jamal Murray took it up a level as well, and it was really, really fun to watch. I love that you get I mean, think about it. Not only is it two of the best young guards in the NBA, it's Louisville versus Kentucky. You got a Cardinal and you got a Wildcat going at it. Uh, two guys who were tremendous guards at those schools, and uh, just like usually what happens in college, Kentucky came out on top today, but Murray was awesome. Uh, it was a big win for the Nuggets to be able to win despite Donovan Mitchell's effort. Utah's going to need more help from some of their supporting cast, and they need Mike Conley back in the bubble. I mean, nobody, no one's going to blame Conley, but Mike Conley leaves the bubble for the birth of his child. Congratulations to him. He now has to quarantine for four days. He might miss, I believe, at least one more. I know that. He may miss two more games, I think, in this series. You take Mike Conley off of this Jazz team, it becomes the Donovan Mitchell show because he's really their only other creator they can rely on. After him, it's it's Jordan Clarkson. So as a t- as a tough loss for Utah to have that kind of performance out of Mitchell and still come up short. Yeah, and listen, the other big thing that they could have done differently today is you got to shoot better than thirty four percent from the outside. Utah was the best three point shooting team in the NBA this season. Uh, they, they shot well below their season average. All right, so we've we've talked about the upset alerts here. I'm curious to see who you think has the most pressure on them going into uh, these playoffs. It's everyone associated with the Milwaukee Bucks franchise. Yeah, uh, This is the second year in a row that they're the one seed. This is the second year in a row Giannis is going to win MVP. Uh, there's one guy in league history who's won back-to-back MVPs and didn't play in the NBA Finals, and that's Steve Nash. Uh, if you if you're this good, at some point you've got to get your team to the finals. And when you think about what's at stake for Milwaukee, if they lose to Toronto or Boston, which I think is very possible, it's why I asked Adam Amin the question earlier because I think it's a big storyline in the East. Is one of those two teams, Toronto or Boston, knocking off Milwaukee? I think is possible. If they fall short again, you open up a lot of questions about Milwaukee. Budenholzer suddenly becomes what Andy Reid was for a long time, which is great regular season coach, can't get it done in the playoffs. This is, would be the second franchise that that's happened with uh, after Atlanta. And now all of a sudden, maybe Giannis is thinking, I- I've hit a ceiling in Milwaukee. Should I try to explore a way to force my way out? Can I get to Miami? Can I get to Golden State? A lot of questions around Milwaukee if they fall short. I think there's a ton of pressure on Giannis, Budenholzer, and the Bucks supporting cast. I think the only other place that I think is comparable is Houston. And it, and that's because, ironically, you just mentioned the Adam Amin uh, interview where I asked him, is this the beginning of a championship run by Houston or is it the beginning of the end of the Harden, Coach D, you know, Daryl Morey, uh, Triumvirat that has run Houston? Uh, I Listen, Coach D's probably gone, whether they win a title or not this year. I think winning a title is the only way he can come back if next they, if year. If they win it all, I think he's good. But other than that, but, yeah. But Daryl Morey, if they don't make some sort of runs, probably gone. And if you're looking at this roster and trying to find what are the other moves you make, you kind of exhausted them in making the CP3 move to, to get Russell Westbrook. At which point do you recollect those assets by trying to put somebody like James Harden on the open market? And, and see if a team like the Knicks, who have a, a buttload of assets, would potentially bite on that kind of move. I, I the, the Bucks are definitely number one, but I think the Rockets are not too far behind them. Who has the most pressure on them heading into the NBA playoffs here? The final drive on Sports Radio FNZ.
Sports Radio FNZ final segment of today's Wilson and Parcelling. Big thanks to Adam Amin for joining us on today's show. Uh, big, big week ahead here that we have planned for you. Uh, excited to hear more from the Carolina Panthers and practice as well. In the meantime, it is time for the final drive with Josh Parcell. All right. Uh, we need answers, and we need them now. I feel like that's a famous phrase that people have used over the time uh, in this country, but it especially applies right now with the Big Ten. Um, the Big Ten may have made the right decision a, a week ago to shut down their season and wait until the spring and decide on whether or not they want to play football. But in doing so, they gave us very little transparency, very little clarity, and next to nothing in the way of answers as to why they made that decision beyond some vague explanation that involved player safety and the best interests and other words of that nature. Um, these kids need answers. And Justin Fields, the star quarterback of Ohio State, putting together a petition, petition over the weekend to let them play is a noble cause that will probably end with nothing besides a couple of headlines and an interview on ESPN radio, but it's good for Justin Fields to speak up because these players deserve a voice. These families deserve a voice and the hardworking coaches and support staff and everybody involved with trying to trying to save the college football season deserve a voice. But instead, unfortunately it was left up to a handful of presidents, probably some government officials and some politics that led to this being shut down without ever giving it a chance to get off the ground. You know, Tom Mars, the famous attorney who has worked with several players in granting them immediate eligibility at their new schools, Tate Martell, Justin Fields, to name a few. He is filing a freedom of information act request for all Big Ten institutions on explaining why they canceled the season. He is looking for emails, texts, financials. That's that's the right thing to do. Good for Tom Mars, and that could be bad news for the Big Ten because whenever Tom Mars gets involved, Tom Mars usually gets his way. Sandy Barber, the athletic director at Penn State, telling reporters today she doesn't know if there was ever a formal vote by the Big Ten over whether or not to play the season. Maybe it was an informal vote. I don't know. Maybe they raised their hands. Maybe they closed their eyes and everybody raised their right hand and one person looked around the room and counted number. I don't know. Whatever it was, it wasn't good enough. And if you're going to cancel the season, it may be the right decision. And I don't know. Maybe we will cancel college football altogether in the coming weeks. But if you're going to cancel the season... You better have answers. You better have real answers. And just as the Big Ten needs to be transparent, so does the SEC, so does the Big 12, so does the ACC for why they're continuing to wait it out. Everybody should be in the know. This is a matter of public health. This is a very serious issue, and it is not a matter of right now where people in the in politics or people in presidential offices of schools should be withholding information from families, should be withholding information from players and coaches. Everybody should be uh, in the know on why these decisions are being made. Uh, I'm very nervous at what has happened at UNC. They've moved to all virtual classes today. Kids are still on campus, but... They're not attending classes. We saw pictures out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama over the weekend of hundreds of students lined up outside. In, I mean, within six inches of one another, let alone six feet. I worry very much about college students. And this is not trying to be old man on a hill, but I worry much about college students doing the right thing and keeping our football season and the chances of a football season alive. So I'm nervous about that, but I wish the Big Ten would have been more patient and prudent. You never know. Four days later, uh, a Yale uh, research project has approved and, and has found a potential test that could provide results within minutes. Could cost as little as $4. 
You think maybe that could help the Big Ten if it's in use in a couple of weeks? Because it's going to help the NBA. It's going to help Major League Baseball. It's going to help college football as well, the sport, the conferences that want to play. The Big Ten has yet again proven over the last week what a directionless organization it is right now. And eventually they're going to need answers. Maybe Tom Mars and his legal team can finally get them. That is the final drive brought to you by Queen City Audio, Video, and Appliances. Queen City Audio, Video, and Appliances serving the Carolinas since 1952. You know, Josh, that's a very important thing you were just talking about, and I have something equally as important, and I am equally outraged about. Apparently, Will Smith and and Kevin Hart are going to star in a remake of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and I want to burn the uh, I want to burn this to the ground. You know, I never saw that movie. Well, see, okay, so you're kind of I don't want to say you're young for it, but your parents might have been a little bit young for it. Given your age, I'm just assuming their age, like it was definitely it was like a mid 80s movie. I don't know when your parents were like out of college and into like a young family. It was a great family movie that came out when I was like three years old that that even I could watch as a little kid. Yeah. I, yeah so Ke- like anything with Kevin Hart, I'm not going to watch. So that that's all I need to know. I I don't think I've watched. I don't think I've watched a Kevin Hart movie. I've seen some stand up. I don't think Kevin Hart's funny. Yeah, no, he's I short. I don't know anybody who thinks Kevin Hart is funny. It's weird to me no. why he keeps getting jobs. I've watched the Jumanji movies because of my kids, though. Oh, Hacksaw, I thought you had something. Why man. is this a thing? Why Why is this happening? Because that's what Hollywood does, dude. Hollywood, all they do, all they do is superhero movies and reboots. That's all they do. That's that is it. That is the only way they make money anymore. Because all of the best, this is a real thing. All the best storytellers, all the interesting plots, and all of the, even all the great actors for that matter, all the great writers, the great directors, they're all moving to television. That's where the money is. Netflix, HBO, Hulu, and, and not so much Hulu, Amazon. They're they're paying these people a crap ton of money. So the the film industry is lost. So what do they do? They just reboot Ghostbusters and these movies and get people to pay. Like, oh, I'd love to. I saw it 30 years ago. I'll go watch it again, even though. It's worse today. It's the same thing. Yeah, they, and here's the thing: they've always done that with remakes, but they've but they've like repackaged movies that haven't worked as well. Like the remake culture in Hollywood has taken to such a degree, like something like The Princess Bride, which was previously thought of as you can't touch it. It was perfect by Rob Reiner. It is a great movie. You don't want to sully the classics, right? They at least had the rules of you don't sully the classic. Now they're like, what classic can we sully up next? Now it feels like there's just no rules. There's just bloodlust for trashing everything. Well, it's better than what they did a few years ago where they tried to start making like board games into movies. Remember that? Remember they Battleship? Did, they, did, they did Clue, right? Do I have right? to talk to you about Didn't they do Battleship? Clue? Clue was in the uh, the 80s, I believe. There's a yeah, Tim Curry They redid, no, they they redid, redid Clue, too. They redid Clue. They, they like yeah. Scarlett Johansson's in it. Yeah, I, did, I didn't watch that one. Um, I think, look that up, Josh. See, Monopoly know. would be a fun one, right? <laughs> Wait, no, Monopoly? none yeah. of them no, would be fun. Monopoly, because the characters would get their $200. They could also <laughs> they could kick people's hotels off. I'm just thinking of the ways you can, you can have Monopoly. How about Twister? We already saw that movie. It's with uh, Bill Paxson and Helen Hunt. Oh, I was talking the, uh, the, oh, the, the game. The, the board game? <laughs> yeah. Twi- that would that- probably be better than the, the original Ooh, Twister. What about Sorry? Whoa, hey, yeah. I know. We like that movie on this show. Yeah, the Finger yeah. of God. Yeah, I didn't think it was that on, good. Um, you, didn't, you didn't think it was that good? No. What, what about it was not good? I mean, I was nine. I wasn't a film critic oh, see, then. there's I your can't... problem. Watch yeah. it now. Oh, you haven't come back to it? <laughs> 
No, oh, I don't. Wow. I don't, dude. I barely have an hour to spare. I don't watch me. My, my fiance wants to watch movies at like nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, I'm gonna be asleep in thirty minutes. Like, if we we can bang out a, an episode of Parks and Rec, and that's about it. Like, I'm I'm not watching a two hour movie at nine o'clock at night. This is not happening. I don't watch movies anymore. It's sad. I mean, I'm not a big movie guy anyway, but I'm definitely not one now that I'm in. I'm in bed by ten, unless unless it's you know, NBA playoffs. Like I'm out. What if you What if you watched a movie once a weekend? Just one movie on I a mean, Saturday. I, we could have yeah, listeners that, that, pick it. That, yeah. ha- that happened. That happens sometimes. That that does happen. So we've watched a few movies lately. We watched um, what's the one? Well, I watched Failure to Launch recently. I thought that was good. Watched the Pelican Brief recently. I have gone back and watched some older movies that you know never got around to. Um, watched a weird movie about Chernobyl. Not the HBO doc, like a really weird movie that it's it's low budget. It was bad. Avery wanted to watch it. it. So you'll watch that, but we won't go back to Twister. I'm I'm, I'm just having some trouble yeah. reconciling. Well, I mean, I was, uh, until two minutes ago, I hadn't really thought to myself like I'm never watching Twister again. I just have never. Thought okay. like on a Saturday. You know what? We'll work on it. Let's watch Twister. Oh, I watched Air Force One recently. I did watch Air Force One about good. a month ago. That's a very oh, good movie. Oh yeah, okay. I had to remember what happened. That was Air Force, off my plane. Air Force One is is <laughs> is like I want to say believable, but like yeah. semi believable until the very end, and then he just is dangling off of the plane at the end. It's like okay, I could have been in on this as him like hiding in the. You know the the storage of the plane until all of a sudden he's like one arm ho- holding on like Mufasa yeah. off a of Pride Rock while you know he's grabbing his wife like that's, that's that uh, I lost me after that. That's Han Solo for you, isn't it, Josh? Yes, Han Solo, not Hans Solo like my fiance likes. To that call was him. the uh, that was the golden era of Harrison Ford that didn't involve either Star Wars or Indiana Jones. That yeah, that success. You also had the Fugitive in that mm-hmm. same time. I don't care. <laughs> That's my favorite. Part I didn't of that kill thing. my wife. <laughs> I don't care. All righty, uh, let's get to it. Uh, we're going to continue on with our greatest number of all time series. Josh Parcell, who do you think is the greatest athlete to ever wear the number sixty-six? Mario Lemieux. It's <laughs> open and shut. Yep, it's Lemieux. He's probably the not Conrad top, Dobler. Top five. Who? Conrad Dobler. Never heard of him. Did he play before the 60s? He played. Uh, some, he definitely played at some point in, in the NFL history. Conrad, I can tell you that. Conrad Dobler sounds. You don't even. Oh, come on. You, he's your guy. I thought it was another NASCAR I'm gonna bet, guy. I'm going to bet. Oh, okay. I'm looking him up. Oh, he played in the 70s. Conrad yeah. Dobler sounds. Don't say yeah. You had no idea. Conrad yeah. Dobler sounds like 1944, like running back, played at Chicago University, like. And he served a year in World War II, came all back. American. Yeah, all oh American. yeah, definitely all American. <laughs> Probably played three sports. He was like a great pole vaulter, but then just decided to play football. Conrad Dobler. Uh, actually, also sounds like he plays golf at, at Clemson. But uh, anyway, no, it's Mario Lemieux. Mario Lemieux is one of the five greatest hockey players probably ever. Uh, and he's if it weren't for Wayne Gretzky, he would have been viewed as the greatest of that era. So I'm, I've got to give it to Lemieux. 60, when I think number 66 in sports, that's who I think of. I don't often think of the number 66 in sports, but yeah, there's no way this could be. God bless Ray Nitschke. Uh, It's easily, easily Mario Lemieux. And uh, not just that. He also gets it because he's the guy that uh, he's like the first like eight or nine jerseys, NHL jerseys. I ever saw kids my age wear like Gretzky. Gretzky was big, but you can understand like 
In, in Cleveland, there is no hockey team, so you are either a Red Wings fan or there hasn't been one. Obviously, the Blue Jackets changed this. But when I was growing up, you were either a Red Wings fan or you were a Penguins fan. I was the the odd man out at, uh, as a Blackhawks fan. I saw a lot of Mario Lemieux jerseys growing up as a Blackhawks fan. I did That did not sit well with me. Uh, all right, big thanks again to Adam Amin of Fox Sports and the Chicago Bulls for joining us on today's show. Good job out of Hacksaw. Josh, are you ready, ready to get going? Good morning. You're right, so I'm, I'm going get going as in get going, like leaving. Uh, yeah, well, we got like 30 seconds, and then we don't have a choice. So should I probably stop talking? Yeah, at some point, we can let Axel finish the show. All right, this is Nick Wilson for Josh Parcell saying <laughs> stay safe and be good, Charlotte. Lord, I love you, Carolina. Hasta la vista, baby. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. See I'm sure. That's all, folks. Okay. Bye. Yeah.